Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Does everyone have a sheet? Does it say thanking God for what He's done for you? Yes. Okay. And I am. If you're at the clipboard, I don't know if it's gotten around yet, but uh, if you're new. Here's one to sign up. Raise your hand if you're new and you want to sign up. Okay. Then pass it that way. And this one is for the memorial uh, kayak trip, canoe trip. And this is for the retreat. So we're just going to send them around. What you have in your hand is something that uh, I put together for you. I've been using a sheet that's a little crumpled up. It's... Uh, it's got actually a few decades of wear. Um, I I like to use, um, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, just little little tools like sheets of paper. Are there any Bible more of them? verses? There's I made 90 of them, so I, I hope there's, there's enough. Back here. Yeah, okay. I like. Uh, I like what God is doing here relating to prayer, and I, I sense the Holy Spirit leading me to talk a little bit about prayer tonight, and in particular, um, praying very biblical ideas about what God has done for us, biblical truths about what God has done for us, and there's a... There's a reason for doing this. I don't pray this particular list every single day. Uh, if you're familiar with me, maybe you've heard me teach a little bit about prayer. I, I feel called to a ministry of intercession, and I feel that my primary calling in life, and I, I think this is, in fact, what God has called each of us to, even if you're not called to intercession, I think our primary calling is to to a life of intimacy with God. Right. Would you agree with that? Okay. Yes. okay. And if you feel called to intercede, your effectiveness in intercession will flow out of that intimacy. The reason for that is because God says in Psalm 25:14 that he shares his secrets with those who are intimate with him. He reserves those secrets, those confidences for people who walk with him in intimacy. So if you want to know the passions of God's heart, you've got to You've got to walk with God. You've got to get to know God better. You've got to be intentional about your walk with God. One of the things that helps me grow in intimacy with God is knowing what He says about me and expressing thankfulness. In the book of Hosea, I believe it's chapter 14, probably verse 2, it says, Return to the Lord and take words with you. What words would be better to take to the Lord than His own words. Use Scripture or allow Scripture to shape your praying. Another thing God wants us to know is something that Neil Anderson said. Neil Anderson uh, has written lots of books that are very helpful to people like Bondage Breaker and Overcoming the Darkness. and, And he says it's impossible to behave in a way 
that's inconsistent with how you perceive yourself. It's impossible to behave in a way that's inconsistent with how you perceive yourself. That's actually a very a very biblical way of thinking. The Bible says as a person thinks, so so is he. Your, your thinking actually affects your behaving. I believe, in fact, we behave our beliefs. I believe if you want to know what people believe, truly believe in a biblical sense, not just in the sense that belief means mental assent, but in the biblical sense where belief means something more than mental assent, it means submission to an idea, surrender to an idea, embracing an idea, you'll understand that we behave our beliefs. If you want to know what people believe, look at what they're doing. True. Now, God has a lot of great things to say about you. And even though these things that we're going to be looking at tonight are very elementary, this is really where it's at. I know some of you are athletes, some of you are musicians. If you ask an athlete what are the most important, uh, important lessons you've learned about your sport, uh, he or she will say the, the basics. If you talk to any of the great golfers, the great tennis players, they're constantly reviewing the basics. The same, the same thing is true for, for people playing in the NFL, going back to the basics. You know, the most important thing you learned in school, really, was A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, etc. You know why? If you didn't learn that, you wouldn't be able to read. You wouldn't be able to understand the meaning of letters grouped together to form words. So when, when you hear someone teaching on the basics, it would be a good idea, no matter how far advanced you are or you think you are in your Christian life, it would be good to say, Lord, help me to review. Help me to really be anchored in these basic truths because you know, people in my generation that I am pastoring are actually still struggling after 30-some years of walking with Jesus, still struggling with believing the basic truth, for example, that their sins are really, truly forgiven. It is amazing how effective the enemy is at using shame on someone who's been a veteran Christian or is a veteran Christian. Why is that? Because that person, in spite of the fact that they read their Bibles, they go to church, they pray, they don't really believe the basic truth of the Word. They haven't embraced it. So one of the things I do, uh, actually I, I tend to do it on Mondays, I, I feel called during this season of my life to spend Mondays, uh, my time alone with God in prayer, uh, focusing on what God wants to do in me. And this is part of that. On Tuesdays I feel called to intercede for the two small churches that I pastor. On, on Wednesdays, I feel called to intercede for my extended family, and it's a rather large extended family. On, on Thursdays, I feel called to intercede for the Master's Institute and uh, some kids that my daughter Grace ministered to when she was in Khartoum and some other people. And on Fridays, I pray for the leadership team of the Alliance of Renewal Churches and some other people. And on Saturdays, I find myself praying for my neighbors because I want to lead my neighbors to Jesus. And I'm not saying these things to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying if I tried to lump all of these things that are prayer concerns, if I tried to lump them all together, it would overwhelm me. And so in this season of my life, I just decided this is the way I'm going to divvy it up. It seems to be pleasing to the Lord. And this is one of the things I... I do on Mondays that I believe if, if you adopt a practice similar to this, you, you don't have to do exactly what I'm doing. I, I don't believe in recipe theology. Um, I think you'll find this to be a blessing. If you at some point in your life will take time to be alone with God, 
turn off the cell phone, get away from TV, uh, let yourself know you don't have to answer the door. There's no rule that says you have to answer the door if people knock on it. And you make time for God. And one of the best ways to make time for God, hard as this is, is getting up before anyone else gets up. Jesus did that, actually. And it's not as hard as you might think. Uh, there are people in your age group who are who are world-class athletes who do it every day for a prize that's far less valuable than the one you're going to win. The Bible says we need to buffet our, our bodies. Some of us have been reading that text from the French translation, I buffet my body. <laughs> and, uh, we need to understand that, that if we seek God and we ask God to help us to be more hungry for Him than we are tired, He'll help us yeah. to get out of bed. He won't do it for us. You have to set your alarm sometimes, unless you're my age, when sleep you know, isn't uh, as important to you as it is when it's your age, when you are your age. And uh, so it's a little bit easier for me to get out of bed. Plus, here's a secret. This is a revelational truth. One of the keys to getting up early is going to bed earlier. <laughs> I realize that's Amazing. very profound. But it's true. So what would be different about your life at the end of the summer? Because Paul talked about not letting this summer go to waste. What would be different next fall if you come back and you'd spent just another half an hour more a day in prayer? You got up another half hour earlier and you just spent some time alone with God in prayer. Go ahead, have a, have a cup of coffee, you know, get your caffeine fixed, that, that's okay. And what, what would be different if you just started your week by saying, Father, I want to thank you according to Colossians 1.14. Jesus canceled, actually 2.14 it should say. 2.14, he canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. You have a record against you. Do you know that? Do you know there's someone who's called the accuser of the brethren who likes to remind you what's on that record? Young as you are, you have a record. We think only criminals have records. We all have a record. And Jesus has canceled the record that contained the charges against us. Is this basic? It's as basic as it gets. You might familiarize yourself with other texts. In fact, as you pray other texts of the Bible that have to do with this basic truth of forgiveness, you will find that the Word of God will get inside of you and you will know the truth of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, it says, Though your sins are scarlet, I'm going to make them like what? Like snow. Though they be red like crimson, I'll make them like wool. Right? Psalm 103, the first three verses, David, David says to his soul, he's actually speaking to himself, he's actually trying to rouse himself out of a form of depression. It might have been a mild form of depression, I, I, I don't know. But it's certainly implied by the way he talks to himself that he was... He was in need of reminding himself of what God had done. And so he said, bless the Lord of my soul. He says to that part of him that is the seat of his emotions, start blessing God. Start praising God. Why should we praise God? Because he's worthy. That's right. Yeah. And because he commands it. And he only commands things that are good for us. 
Yes, understand that. When God frames something in the language of a command, He's saying in emphatic terms what is necessary for our well-being. When we say to a little, a little child, hold on to my hand as we go out into the parking lot at Target, because if you don't, you could be in some kind of danger, we're saying in emphatic terms what is essential to their well-being. Bless the Lord of my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. You know, some of us don't praise God until and unless we feel like it. Yeah. And that's the sign of a self-absorbed, self-centered, self-serving person. Yeah. That's the sign of an immature person. Don't, don't mean to shame you by saying that. That's just reality. The truth is, if you want to grow up, you've got to stop living by your feelings and start doing what God's Word says, whether you feel like it or not. Right. Maybe you've heard this statement that's popular among some psychologists, but it's a true statement. You can't feel your way into a better way of acting, but you can act your way into a better way of feeling. That's, right. That's actually a biblical truth. Yeah. In Romans 6.17, it says, you become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you're committed. So if you want heart obedience, be committed to a biblical form of teaching, and eventually your heart will be in step with what that Bible verse is actually teaching. It's true. We want to get to the place where we are we are doing what God's Word says because it delights us, but sometimes discipline precedes delight. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yes. So, Father, I thank You that my sin is forgiven. I thank You that my debt is canceled. I remember the words of David in which he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I'll tell you what, early on Monday mornings, I don't feel like blessing God, but it transforms my life and changes my day when I say, Thank you, soul. Start praising God. And don't forget any of His benefits. He pardons your iniquities. He heals your diseases. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion and fills your life with good things so that your strength is renewed like the eagle. What would happen if you and I would begin to say what God's Word says about us? The Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue. It says a person enjoys good according to the fruit of their lips. It's, it's time to say what God says. Many years ago, the father of Joel Osteen, John Osteen, said he actually printed a, a booklet and preached a sermon called There's a Miracle in Your Mouth. And there is. If you will say what God's Word says, you will begin to experience what God's Word says. So what would happen if we began our day and began our week by just simply saying, Father, I'm so grateful today that my sins are washed away. You might feel terrible shame. You might feel, feel truckloads of guilt. But the Word of God says He's canceled the debt. He's cleansed your heart. Thank you, Father, for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you, Father. John 1.12, I'm a child of God. Yeah. To as many as received Him, to them He gave the right, the, proud, the power, to, the privilege to become the children of God. Do you know, brothers and sisters of Communitas, that not everyone is a child of God? Do you understand that God wants all people to become children of God? But according to the Scriptures, all people are creatures of God, and only those who have received Jesus are children of God. In our society, that sounds very bigoted. And yet these are the words of Scripture. And either we're going to agree with Scripture or we're not. God wants every Hindu, every Buddhist, every, every Muslim, every atheist, every person of every race, of both genders, to know Him in a real and personal way. And for that reason, He sent His Son. And yet, not all will become His children. Because even though God is willing that none should perish, and that all come to repentance, 
not all will respond to him. God will not coerce people to respond. However, if you've responded, you're a child of God. And that means you've passed out of judgment and into life. That means you have the privilege of access. That means, according to Romans 8, that you are an heir of God and an heir with Christ. It means, according to the book of Galatians, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That means you can boldly come before the throne of grace to find mercy to help in time of need. Because that's what the blood of Jesus affords you. That's why the book of Hebrews also said, through the blood of Jesus we may enter the holy places. Do you understand what it means to be a child of God? It's a place of privilege. So, Father, I thank you that my sins are forgiven. I thank you that I'm a child of God. Do you know that God is not honored when we deny any of his promises? It's not humility to deny a promise of God. If you know Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you are a child of God, and you need to say that. And then I thank God, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm an entirely new creature. The old has passed away. Everything's been made new. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creature. You could probably think of some other texts that correspond with this. I think of one in uh, 1 Peter, I believe it's uh, chapter 1. Check out maybe verse 11 or so. It says that God has ransomed us from the futile way of life inherited from our forefathers. That means you don't live under generational curses. He's ransomed you. When you know Christ, you're the progenitor or the beginner of a new generation. An absolute new generation. All those generational curses stop behind you. Now that doesn't mean that you won't experience the momentum of those generational curses in your family, but you can put a stop to them. And that's why God wants to teach us to intercede and to intervene and to say no to all that the enemy intends. So I thank God that I'm a new creature. What would be different about your life if you were convinced that your past is behind you? And that your past doesn't have to dictate your future. What would be different about you if you became absolutely certain, I'm a new person, I'm not that person who lived back there. So many months ago or even years ago, I'm an entirely new person. Romans 12.3, Father, I thank you that you've given me a measure of faith. I have faith. Do you know that you have faith? You might think you don't have much faith, but you have faith. Where did you get that faith? The Father has given it to you. We learn in Romans 10.17, faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of Christ. Faith has been given to you. Faith is like an internal organ. If you don't feel it, you're absolutely normal. Any of you feeling your brain right now? Feeling your liver? Your kidney? I hope not. (laughs) Not a good sign? If you're feeling your internal organs. However, you have them. You've never seen them. But you have them. How do you know you have them? There's evidence. We won't go into all of the evidence that they're functioning properly. God says you have faith. Therefore, you need to say, I have faith. So it's important to say what God says and to come into agreement with God. Do you know that the word confession comes from two words that mean to say the same thing as? To say the same thing God says. When we think of confession, especially if you're from a Lutheran tradition or a Catholic tradition, you tend to think of confession as admitting sin. But according to the scripture, confession is that, but it's more. It has to do with saying what God says about faith and about salvation. That's why in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we experience salvation. 
So confession is a two-sided coin. It includes agreeing with God with what he says about sin. It includes agreeing with God about what he says about Jesus and about us. God's glory is not served if you deny any of his promises, any of the things he says about you. He's given you faith. So what do you need to say? I have faith. Thank you for the faith that I have. Help me to use this faith. Help me to exercise this faith. Romans 6.14 I thank God that sin is no longer my master. Do you believe that? Sometimes you feel like it is your master, but God says it isn't. Are you going to believe you, or are you going to believe God? Sin is no longer your master. That doesn't mean you've lost the ability to sin. It means you've lost the obligation to sin. Do you believe you've lost the obligation to sin? You don't have to watch pornography. You don't have to look lustfully at people. You don't have to gossip. You don't have to be chemically addicted. I'm not saying those type of things aren't difficult struggles. But the Bible says, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the free person is not a person who is never tempted again. In fact, one of the things that I'm looking forward to about heaven is there will be no devil, no carnal nature, and no worldly value system. Victory there will be different than victory is here, but victory is here. Don't you dare believe for a nanosecond that you cannot be victorious over over any particular sin. Do you know why? Because God has given you all of the resources of heaven. All of the resources of heaven. So thank God, sin is no longer my master. Thank God, according to Colossians 1.13, I've been delivered out of the authority of darkness and translated to the kingdom of light. That means you're not under the devil's jurisdiction anymore. And it's about time you say that to yourself and that you stand in agreement with heaven in saying that and that you say it to the forces of darkness. You know what keeps people bound in darkness is ignorance. Ignorance of the freedom that belongs to them in Christ. In the book of Hosea, Hosea 4.6, God says, My people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Isaiah, who is a contemporary of Hosea, Isaiah 5.13, God says, My people are held in captivity for their lack of knowledge. If you read Proverbs, Proverbs 11.9, the last part of the verse, it says, Through knowledge the righteous shall escape. Through knowledge the righteous shall escape. Jesus said, if, my, if you're truly my disciples, you're going to continue in my word and you're going to discover the truth and the truth will set you free. So you and I need upgrades of truth. We need, we need understanding of truth. We need revelation of truth. So I thank God that sin is no longer my master. I thank God that I've been delivered out of the domain of darkness. And then do you have Romans 8.32 in there? <coughs> what a text. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God gave us his son, what will he keep from us? Romans 10.12, it says, The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call upon him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, check it out, but probably about verse 20, 21, 22. It says, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God is so much better than we think he is. He is so much better than we think he is. What would he withhold from you? The only thing he would ever withhold from you is something that would hurt you. You got Philippians 4, 6, and 7? Mm-hmm. Yep. Father, thank you 
for that peace that passes understanding. That's where Paul says, don't, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses human understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that peace. Some of you are familiar with the text in John 14 where Jesus said, My peace I give to you. Remember that? My peace. Not as the world gives. There is a counterfeit peace that's given by the world. And that is a peace that is contingent usually on two things. One, the ingestion of chemicals. To the existence of a particular set of circumstances. And therefore, we live when we are not experiencing the peace of Jesus under the tyranny of a counterfeit peace. So I've got to either smoke something or abuse a chemical in some way in order to medicate myself so I feel some kind of peace or a certain desirable set of circumstances need to exist. And, and, and you know what? And I can't control circumstances. Can you? But Jesus says, my peace I give to you. His is a peace that is not contingent on the ingestion of chemicals or the existence of a particular set of circumstances. His peace is available by virtue of a relationship with you. You can have it. The peace that passes understanding. So it's time we say thank you for the peace when you don't feel the peace. Don't wait to feel the peace before you thank him for the peace. It's yours. It belongs to you. Go after the peace. How do you go after the peace? You acknowledge that it's promised in Scripture. And you lay claim to it. John the Baptist said a man can only lay claim to that which has been given him from above. Well, this has been given you from above. You can lay claim to these things. Thank you, Father, for this peace. Thank you for the joy, unspeakable and full of glory. John 15, 11. I've given you my joy so that your joy might be complete. And like the peace... This joy is not contingent on the existence of a particular set of circumstances or the ingestion of chemicals. This is a joy that's rooted in Jesus. So it's time to thank Him for the joy. When should you thank Him for the joy? When you don't feel joy. And when you do feel joy. That's right. Thank Him for the joy. Lay claim to the joy. Because as you and I learn to move toward God and lay claim to the things that He says belong to us in Christ, we're going to begin to experience those things. Now, you might begin to experience them in an incremental way. In fact, I will guarantee you, you will always only experience them in an incremental way. You might say, yeah, but the increment I got was huge. That's right, but it's still an increment. (laughs) Any healing, I, I will say this, any healing you get, physical, emotional, any kind of healing you get this side of heaven, it's all incremental. Even if it fits, if it feels total, believe me, there's more. There's more. So don't don't be saying to yourself, yeah, but I, I think I'm really free. Well, you probably are. I know you are in Christ, but God's still got more for you, so don't settle for less. Matthew 6.33, if you seek ye first the kingdom of God, what's going to happen? Everything you need will be given to you. What were the need things Jesus was talking to in that or talking about in that text? Practical, yeah, practical things: food, clothing, shelter. Some of you have probably been facing difficult times materially. Do you know that material things, according to Jesus, are the things we should worry about least? Because if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He's got you covered. He's got you covered. And if you battle some unbelief in this area, guess what? You're pretty normal. You know what you do with unbelief? You kick it in the teeth. You don't you don't indulge your unbelief. You don't wallow in it. You don't pitch a pity party and say, Oh my, 
I'll tell you, things are really bad for me. When unbelief assails you and assaults you, it's time to say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you that if I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, every actual practical I need will be met in full. Thank you for doing that. What if we didn't wait until God's provision materialized until we thanked God? What would happen? What would be different about us if we thanked God before we saw the material manifestation of it? I, I think, actually, you call that faith. Yep. Don't you? Yep. Hebrews 13.5 He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Father, thank you that I have your abiding presence. Yeah. In fact, verse 6 says, Therefore I can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Wow. Thank you, Father. That you never leave me, you never forsake me. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Thank you, Father, that there is now therefore no temptation that has overtaken me, but such as is come in the man. And God is faithful, who will not allow me to be tested beyond my ability to resist, and will with every temptation provide a way of escape, that I might bear up under it. Thank you, Father, for this promise that's sure and true. What would be different about your life if you recited that promise regularly? Especially as you're battling temptation. The last thing the devil wants you to do is land on a Bible verse like this and start saying it. Because if you start doing that, you're going to start believing it. And if you start believing it, you're going to start experiencing it. <coughs> Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Yeah. It might be hard to believe some days. Some days it's hard for me to believe. It doesn't matter whether it's hard to believe it or not. It's the truth, isn't it? Yep. And we need to learn to say what the Word of God says, no matter what we're feeling. Thank you, Father, that you're at work in me. And I can be confident, as Paul was confident, as Paul was confident, that the work which you've begun, you're going to bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The same Lord who saved you is the one who will keep you. You will not be kept by willpower. I'm all for effort. I believe in effort. I, I believe in the effort to get out of bed earlier. I believe in the effort to read my Bible daily. I believe in the effort required to pray. But it's not my getting out of bed or my reading or my praying that's going to keep me. It's the power of God. These are, these are resources God gives me so that I can access the power of God. God gives me the ability to read. He won't read for me. He gives me the ability to pray. He won't do my praying for me. He gives me the ability to be in communion with other, with other believers and share my vulnerabilities with them and ask them to pray for me. But He won't do that for me. And so I don't put my trust in believers to sustain me, but I understand that God gives me other believers as a tool, as a resource to access His power which will sustain me. So you can be confident that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. This text does not teach that God causes all things. Right. It teaches that God causes all things to work together for good. There are other wills at work in the universe causing some of those other things to happen. Sometimes the trouble you have is of your own making. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's the devil's doing uh -huh. But the good news is, no matter who's responsible, God can use it for good. 
And you and I need to learn to say this regularly. No matter what news we get, God can turn bad news into good news. And so we need to confess by faith. Hebrews 4.16, we've already talked about it. Father, I thank you that I can boldly come before the throne of grace to find mercy to help in time of need. Thank you that I can come. And so I come and I stand before you without shame, without spot or blemish on the basis of what Jesus has done. Philippians 4.13, some of you know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You need to become familiar with the verses that precede it, 11 through 13 in its entirety. There Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment, the secret of gratification, fulfillment, satisfaction. He says the secret is Christ. He says having much or having little, I don't need to live under the tyranny of circumstances. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. You can learn that secret too. You can learn it experientially. Do you know why God gives us theological truth like this? So that it can become experiential reality. Whatever you read in the Bible, God wants it to become experiential reality. God doesn't want you simply to have a theology of contentment. He wants you to have an experience of contentment. So when you read something like this, I pray that it will provoke you to say, I'm not settling for a doctrine of this. I want an experience of this. So thank God. Thank thank Him for it. I thank you for contentment. I thank you that Christ is the source of my contentment. I thank you according to Ephesians 1.3. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Every spiritual blessing. What do you need? You've already been blessed with it. God's already made a deposit in your spiritual bank account. What you and I need to learn is, what does that look like and how do I access it? 2 Peter 1.3 He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us. Everything. You have it all. So what if you, you began your week by saying, thank you for blessing me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and for seating me with Christ in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and power in every name in His name. Thank you for giving me everything pertaining to life and godliness. Is this making sense, guys? Yeah. yeah. Galatians 3.13, we already talked about it. Is that in your notes? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How about 2 Timothy 1.7? Yeah. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Some translations actually say power and love and self-discipline. <coughs> He's given you a spirit of self-discipline. Giving you a sound mind. Uh, some people, especially people in my generation, are worried about getting dementia. Some form of dementia. I saw my mother uh, just suffer for the five years of last years of her life with uh, a form of dementia. It wasn't Alzheimer's, but she died on an Alzheimer's unit. My mother uh, all, never got to go to college. She wanted to go to college. My mother was born such a long time ago that she had her first baby in the 1920s. It was a lot of years between my first sibling and, and me. My mother started having children in 1929 and had me in 1953. My mother never got anything less than an A. I'm pretty sure my mom had a photographic memory. If she read it, I remember 50-some years after she, she read the St. Joseph's Baltimore Catechism in the Catholic Church, she could tell you what page certain things were on, and she hadn't been keeping up reading it. She hadn't been reviewing it. She could tell you what corner of the page things were on, what page it was on. And then my mom got to know Jesus, and she started diving into the Bible. And uh, she's a very humble woman, and uh, she didn't flaunt her knowledge, but it broke my heart to see my mom deteriorate with dementia. 
And I don't believe it was necessary. I don't believe any of us have to face that prospect. There's nothing in the Bible that leads me to believe that we have to die of disease in order to die. There's evidence that there are people in the Bible who simply knew that their time had come. They pulled their feet up into their bed. They gathered their family around them. They blessed them. They prophesied over them. And they checked out. I think God would like us all to die that way. So thank God for a sound mind. Isaiah 53 in there? 4 and 5? He bore... He bore your your infirmities. He carried your sorrows, your griefs, your pains. By His stripes you've been what? Does God want you well? Indeed He does. Indeed He does. Psalm 32, 8 in there. Thank God He will instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go. He will counsel us with His eye upon us. That's God. These are some of His promises. You got 1 Peter 5, 7 in there? Yeah, I can cast my care upon the Lord because why? He cares. He cares for you. Now, what might happen? What might be different about your life if regularly you would just recite simple truths about this? Remember, it's impossible to behave in a way that's inconsistent with how you perceive yourself. What would be different about you if you became certain that your sins are forgiven? Certain that you're a child of God. Certain that you are an altogether new creature. Certain that you have eternal life. I think we flew right by that one. Certain that you that you have a measure of faith. Certain that sin isn't your master. That you've been delivered out of the authority of darkness and, and, and so forth. What would happen over the course of time if these elementary truths became deeply rooted inside of you no matter what the devil might do to torment you you're going to be able to lift up that shield of faith and extinguish every flaming missile of the evil one. You're going to be able to use that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and defeat every attempt of the enemy to unseat your confidence. You know, the Bible says, do not throw away your confidence, for it will be richly rewarded. You will not have confidence if you're not anchored in the Word. And one of the best ways to be anchored in the Word, aside from reading the Word, is praying the Word. If you want to be a thankful person, or I should say a grateful person, God God calls us to be grateful, doesn't He? Understand that gratefulness is cultivated by thankfulness. Learn to be thankful. Thank God for the most mundane things. Thank God for your food. Thank thank God for a great cup of coffee. Thank God for a, Amen. Thank God for a good night's sleep. Thank God for kind people who encourage you. Uh, thank God when people let you in, in 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 traffic. Thank God for breath and for life. If you're upright and taking nourishment, thank God. Thank God. If you suffer from chronic back pain uh, and you have an hour. When you don't feel back pain, thank God. Because He's worthy. And He'll always be worthy. There's another reason to thank God, and it's because God inhabits the praises of His people. God will meet you as you simply praise Him. Now, you might you might have a wonderful encounter with God just taking a crack at this and taking some time just reviewing these promises. But I'm telling you, you might also be in a different situation where 
you're in a very dry season and you haven't felt the presence of God for a long time. <coughs> keep going at it. Just keep taking a run at these things. Keep saying these things. Keep on keeping on. The Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing. In due season you will reap if you do not faint. Realize that there are seasons to life. There are, there are seasons I've been married for 35 years and, and uh, by all accounts it's been a, a pretty good marriage. But the truth is there are seasons when Laura and I frustrate the dickens out of each other. We just... We're so different. Really, truly, the only thing we have in common is Jesus. Jesus and our, and our basic core values. That's it. Polar opposites in every other way. And we drive each other wacky sometimes. We get really, really frustrated. And we really say, Lord, you got to help me here. Right now, I don't even like this person. Now, if you have ever felt that way, you're pretty normal. You're pretty normal. That's life. That's normalcy. In the Christian life... You know, going deeper with God doesn't mean you're always going to be on some kind of emotional high. Some of you have found that out. You've got to learn to find God in the valleys. You've got to learn to find God in the arid places, the desert places. You've got to learn to find God when you feel like you're losing your mind. And guess what? Especially in those difficult times, you need to learn to find God in the company of friends. Because without the company of friends, you are going down. The devil loves to isolate people. He's a predator, and predatory animals like wolves look for stragglers. And if you don't know how to lean into people, you know, coming to Communitas is huge. It's wonderful. It's a part of what it means to seek out in the company of friends. But you need to take it a step further. Some of you have. And so I'm not insinuating that you're not doing this well, but take it a step further and get to know people personally. Let them get to know you so well they can they can read your mail, figuratively speaking. So well that they, they know where you're hurting. They know when you're vulnerable. Because if you don't let people get to know you that well, guess what's true of you? Aside from the fact that you're going to go down, you're proud. And the fact that you're proud is a guarantee that you're proud is a guarantee you're going down. Because pride goeth before the what? And a haughty spirit goes before stumbling. It's the humble who expose the darkness of their hearts to other people. Like Jack Deere said, if there's something in your life that's secret, it owns you. It owns you. It's scary to share it. But the truth is, it's scarier if you don't. Like they say in AA, we're as sick as our secrets. So get that stuff that's in the darkness out into the light, and you'll you'll find, you know what? You're not unusual. You're not unusual. You'll find that there's hope for you, there's healing for you, there's deliverance for you. Yeah. Said enough. Father, thank you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the Word of God that shapes our praying. Thank you for the promises of God. Thank you for all of the things you've done for us and the things you've said about us. Would you help us to come into agreement with heaven and say what you say about us? Help us to fight the good fight and wage the good warfare. Help us not to give in to doubt and worry and unbelief and unholy fear. Help us, Lord, to have the endurance that we need to do the the right things even when we don't feel those right things. And Lord, we look to you now. We need to be sustained by you.